Well, today we're going to learn an awful lot about some very important topics and have a whole heck of a lot of fun in the process. Now, you couldn't always say that in school, could you? But you can on this week's episode because we're going to talk about imaging, radiology, and mammograms and uh, other subtopics related to those. And uh, here to talk about them with us is uh, a healthcare hero, if there ever was one. Krista Cole is her name. She is the Operations Manager of Imaging and Radiology at Deaconess Hospital Henderson, and I thought it was only appropriate that we have her on because October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Now, cancer is never a word that any of us want to hear, but breast cancer is uh, a very important topic, like we said, and it's important to know how to test for it and uh, how to address it early in the game to uh, prevent any uh, significant spread or uh, damage to the body. And so Krista Cole will enlighten us on first how she got involved and interested in radiology. And since she has experience in the realm of mammograms, she will talk to us about what that process entails, how long it takes, who is most vulnerable to breast cancer, and we will talk about her recommendation for radiology as a potential career for those aspiring to enter the healthcare industry in some capacity. It's going to be enlightening. It's going to be educational. It's going to be entertaining. What more could you want from Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Season 6, Episode 20, which starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Uniontown to E-Town, Jamestown to Georgetown, we absolutely cover all of the towns and cities and metroplexes, highways and byways, and, well, you get my drift, all across the Commonwealth, right here and only here on Blabbing in the Bluegrass as we thoughtfully and thoroughly explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore here once again at the never-depressing, never-duplicated North Quail Motel in magnificent Henderson KY. Krista Cole is waiting in the wings, and she'll be joining me in just minutes. Like we told you, she is the operations manager in uh, imaging and radiology at Deaconess Hospital Henderson, and uh, a number of noteworthy topics of discussion on our docket today, including breast cancer. Now, my men out there listening, you all may be thinking to yourselves, well, why should I stay tuned to this? Men don't get breast cancer. Well, you may be surprised to learn that in some cases, men do get breast cancer, and we will elaborate on that more as we go along in our conversation. And even if you're one of those males who never get diagnosed with breast cancer, unfortunately, it is not 
all that uncommon among females, especially in their latter stages of life, and uh, which means this could very easily impact one or more of the women that mean the most to you, whether that be your wife, your mom, your sister, your cousin. We all have women in our lives who are uh, important and uh, provide companionship and friendship that we all depend upon very much. So, uh, you know, if any of those important people are ever confronted with this dreaded disease, we need to be there to uh, provide support and maybe in some cases guidance because the good news is if caught in a timely fashion early on in the game, the odds are certainly in everybody's favor. So we will uh, talk about that in depth, much, much more with Krista Cole, who has a wealth of experience in mammograms, although that's not her area of concentration currently. She still <laughs> is the head of that department, and she knows all about them. So we will get the 411 from her and much, much more. So do stick around for that. But before we get to Krista, I have another bluegrass brain buster ready for you by intention is to have one each and every week. So we'll give you the question now. You can think on it while you listen to Krista and I, and we will have your answer at the end of the show. So, of course, we know Kentucky is nicknamed the Bluegrass State. And uh, that's what inspired the name Blabbing in the Bluegrass of this podcast here, of course. But I want to know, what are our other unofficial nicknames? Again, we all know... Kentucky is nicknamed the Bluegrass State. That inspired the name of this podcast. But I'd like for you to tell me, before I tell you, <laughs> we'll see if you can pull that off. We'd like for you to identify the other nicknames that are unofficial for the state of Kentucky. So, you ponder that, and we will let you know in the program's final segment, okay? Sam Moore now presents a kind and courageous healthcare hero. Well, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so uh, I thought, you know, it's only fitting that we talk a little bit about mammograms and imaging and radiology, and for that, I have no better person lined up than our special guest today. She uh, actually, <laughs> it could be no better person lined up, I should say. <laughs> she is uh, the operations manager of uh, imaging and radiology at uh, Deaconess Hospital Henderson. She has uh, been employed at uh, Deaconess, even dating back to the time that it was Methodist Hospital. So uh, over 20 years and she's still going strong. So she must be doing something right. And we're going to talk to her uh, a little bit about uh, her career <laughs> thus far and uh, a little bit about those mammograms and breast cancer awareness, like we said, for the month of October and why she would recommend this career path to folks exploring potential avenues in the healthcare industry. So let's welcome the lady who gave Dixon, Kentucky, an official spot on the map, Miss Krista Cole. <laughs> Thanks for that intro, Sam. <laughs> well, more more than deserving, more than deserving. In fact, uh, talk about a small world, folks. Krista Cole is one of my mom Susan Moore's former students. <laughs> That's right. Yep, that's been a few years back. <laughs> it's been a year or two. Mom's now retired, So, uh, but she was a longtime yeah. school teacher, and uh, Krista was one of her many, many students. In fact, uh, you still live down there in Dixon, don't you? I do. Yep, I sure do. Yep, I still see. reside right there. 
I'm yeah. telling you, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, That's exactly uh, right. <laughs> you are actually, <laughs> I was I was thinking about this earlier. You are, I believe, my second Webster Countyan that I've had. Well, actually my third, but the other lifelong Webster Countyan that I had on is uh, Miss Donna Jo Bug, and I trust you know her. Oh, I do know Donna Jo, yes. Yeah, because I, I enjoy featuring educators from time to time, and Donna Jo uh, was uh, one of my exceptional educators earlier this year. Of course, you know, she's a guidance counselor out at uh, Spotsville now. So, uh, yeah. yeah, she's done well for herself, and definitely. Yeah. Y'all are about the same age, aren't you? Yeah, she, um, I believe, if I remember right, she was two years ahead of me in school. Okay, so, yeah, I got close. you. I see. So, yeah. so she's 39 and you're 37. That's how that goes. Right. You got it. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> I thought I had my math right there. But anyway, Krista, we are, uh, we are sure glad you're here. Now, first off, why don't you tell us when and how you initially began pondering a career in the realm of healthcare? Well, honestly, it was probably not until I was in high school. Oh. I hadn't thought a lot about it prior to that, honestly. Um, and, v, you know, I'm a very transparent person. So um, my senior year, I had thought about healthcare some, but really just not sure what I wanted to do. Um, I did my senior year. I got pregnant in high school. Oh, and, gotcha. Yeah. So, um very much a great motivation for me. I knew um, I had, was going to have a baby. I needed to support. Um, so that played into it a little bit. Um, I wanted um, certainly for my baby, my child, to be uh, very reliant and or dependent upon me. So, But also during that time um, and trying to decide what to do, I took the health allied class you know, health careers um, that they had there at the time, it was, you know, called the Vocational Center at Webster. Yeah. Uh -huh. And just wanted to, yeah, just wanted to expand my knowledge on the different options in healthcare. And kind of during that time too, my dad was in, um, he was in a bad accident with a semi. Oh, so gotcha. that led to, yeah, that led to multiple procedures, you know, a lot involved with radiology and x-ray. Um, and I'll be honest, like I admit that um, originally when I thought about radiology, it was, you know, that's just about bones and, you know, let's find out what's broken. Um, had no idea the extent um, that's involved in radiology. Um, and again, that's just from being young and not diving in so much yet. But then. Right. Um, yeah, it spans far beyond that, doesn't it, Krista? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So as I begin to do uh, more and more research, and then definitely with the observation time I spent at the hospital, um, you know, kind of on my own, but then also through that health um, allied course, learned so much more um, about radiology and what it entails. And um, so that just sparked my interest even more. And it's like, you know, I just wanted to be a part of that. So about so, the time I, you entered high school. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, you think about that, you know, obviously you got to think about, okay, well, you know, my time's coming. I'm going to graduate. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? <laughs> so you have to think about it a little bit. Well, sure. And of course, we, you know, everybody, when they're little, we all tell people crazy things that, that we want to be when we grow up. Uh, in fact, the funny story, when uh, I remember the first time somebody asked me what I wanted to be when I grow up, I told them an astronaut. So is that right? <laughs> well, hey. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, uh, that didn't quite happen. But you know, at least, at least I had a, uh, you know, an open mind, shall we say? <laughs> That's right, you did. Well, you know, it's funny because, um, yeah, as we're younger, we do exactly as you said, and we come up with different things, sometimes crazy. But you know, I mine was all my answer was always to be a coal miner. Um, well, I thought I was going to go underground. And... Miner's daughter. <laughs> okay, That's exactly right. It's very fitting. No, no, no. It's very fitting. My dad was a coal miner. So that was, was my inspiration. Okay. So you yes. identify with that Loretta Lynn song very well. I do. Very much so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we just lost her last week. God rest her soul. Yeah. Oh, she, no. was, <laughs> she was uh, somebody that. Uh, a lot of people admired, myself included. But um, anyhow, you. Great um, if you would, Krista, you talked about, um, you know, your observation in the hospital uh, for a few seconds there. But let's expand on that a little more and um, give us a synopsis of the, the collegiate education and um, other on-the-job training that uh, equipped you to excel in your profession. Okay. So yeah, I started with observations through that high school course, but then um, actually in applying part of the application process for the program that I had gone through, and I went through Madisonville's radiology program, um, you had to do some additional observation time for them as part of that application process. So did some more observations. Um, Back now, you know, because I, it's been a year or two, as we noted earlier. Sure. Um, during that time, yeah, uh, I could go, I went directly from high school right into the radiology program. Um, I had about a month off in between. You know, they didn't require so many prereqs then. Right. Um, so I didn't, I didn't have that aspect. But um, going into the program, two year, it was a two-year program. <clears throat> And it was a mixture of your didactic, you know, classroom work, um, some time in um, a clinical lab. We had a lab set up there at the school in the program. So you would learn over the course of the program, you know, you start with one area of the body and you would learn how to position um, what you're looking for, what you should see, those type things. And then you would progress, obviously, throughout the body and learning different positioning um, and anatomy, <clears throat> what to look for. But then on top of that, like you would have to complete um, a competency is what we call it or a checkoff in the lab at school. And, and once you did those, once we had completed those, well, we also did rotate through um, the healthcare facilities. Again, at that time, I rotated through, it was RMC, now Baptist Deaconess Madisonville. Right. That, that deaconess also, umbrella keeps getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> it does. It's great. You know, there's strength and growth and deaconess is growing. So yes. um, that's great. Yeah. 
Um, but also at the clinic there at the time, which, you know, then was also Trover Clinic. So uh-huh. those were our two um, areas, the hospital setting, the clinic setting, where we would do our clinical education. And that was allowed us opportunity to do more hands-on with patients. So as we learned those things and did our competencies in school, in the lab, then we would go put that into practice um, at the hospital in the clinic. And so the technologists there, obviously they would supervise us. And if it were things that we hadn't comped on yet, because we also had to complete those competencies in the clinical atmosphere. So if we hadn't, yeah, if we hadn't completed those yet, obviously we had direct supervision from the technologists and they would help guide us and teach us. Um, And, you know, they did a portion, a big portion of that education for us too in that clinical setting. But then once we had our competencies completed, you know, we had a little bit more um, just kind of individual work on our own. The staff, the technologists would trust us to go in and uh, do those procedures, but always required that indirect. So they were right there if we needed something. Um, You know, those competencies too, there's just like with the hospitals, we have regulatory bodies. They have that with the radiology programs. Mm -hmm. So, and that's, the ART or the American Registry for Radiologic Technologists. So they also have certain requirements for all those students. And and part of that is those competencies. So you had so many that you had to complete for the program, you know, to be able to get that state licensure at the end and also sit for that. Um, The ART, you have a national registry that you sit for. So that's um, those two pieces, you have to have your state license and then that ART registry. You could take pride in knowing that uh, while you were <laughs> completing your, you know, your your licensure and, and your uh, ART, you were getting on-the-job training at the same time. So you were killing two birds with one stone. <laughs> That's right. And that was, a, uh, that was a two-year program, you said? Yes, the one that I went through was. Yes, the one that you went through years. was. And then, um, mm-hmm. let's see, you... Uh, you transferred up to USI, though, afterwards, didn't you? I did. I did complete uh, my bachelor's at USI. And, of course, that was in, you know, that was a bachelor's of science, but I had some um, specialty tracks in clinical education and radiology management. Um, but that's what I did there. Okay. Then, so clinical education and radiology management was your, was your focus over at Southern Indiana. Yes. That was another uh, couple years, and then you ultimately finished your master's degree, did you not? I did, yes. I went back. I um, I obtained that through the uh, Sullivan University in Louisville. Right. And Most of that was online, I'm sure. Yes, and that was a big uh, factor in me determining and selecting um, a college program for that, um, just because, you know, with work. Um, online is I could do that after hours that type of thing so yeah um, I did graduate with that in 2017 2016 see uh, folks I actually got to know Krista a little bit when I worked um, at uh, the USA care store which was in Methodist hospital at the time and uh, Krista had just Either she just finished it or, or she was working on it because I remember her telling me. And so that's awesome. So she took a she took a few years off between her bachelor's and her master's, which, you know, that's that's to be commended. It's hard to go back oh. later in life and and get a master's degree. So you probably <laughs> you probably came close huh. to 
pulling all nighters, even you know, just a few years ago, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, sometimes, and it was 2017. So yeah, um, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of time and energy. So, but it was something I wanted. So proud of making that accomplishment as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you should. You should definitely be proud. And that uh, that masters was in uh, what exactly? Radiology management or something along those lines? Healthcare administration. Healthcare administration. Okay. Yeah, healthcare business administration. <laughs> that is certainly to be commended. Now, um, experts in the healthcare industry have the uh, the luxury of choosing from a, a wide range of areas in which to specialize. So, um, you know, you talked a little bit about um, your dad and 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 his unfortunate accident when you were in high school, and that sort of, you know, opened your eyes to to radiology and certain aspects of its. Uh, you know, it's different components, but um, expand a little more on what attracted you to um, radiology specifically, Krista. Um, I think part of it is the variety. You know, when I did those observations, and again, um, at the time, me being um, less knowledgeable of the field, and I thought that it was, you know, really just the bones. Um, once I did those observations, it was so many um, different avenues, you know, had such a variety. Um, you didn't do the same thing consistently all the time. Now, if you ask anybody in radiology, they'll tell you the thing that we do the most, like in the diagnostic area, the chest x-ray. You know, we do tons and tons of those. But ultimately, it was always something new. You never knew what was coming into the emergency department. You know, it could be, you know, a minor trauma. It could be a larger trauma. Um, you had routine outpatients where, you know, you did those fluoroscopy studies where, you know, the radiologist would watch, for example, on an upper GI where the patient would drink the barium, you watch it go down the esophagus and into the stomach. Um, it was just a variety. And I will tell you, even starting out, you know, I had experiences where we would go to the morgue. So um, can't say that was my favorite, but. Yeah, um, I'd say not. You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just there was such um, a variety and. Yeah, no um, two days even, were the same, were they? No, they were not. And then knowing that you had opportunities to advance in some of those other modalities like CAT scan or MRI, you know, we have interventional, nuclear medicine, um, ultrasound. I mean, there's just um, so many different avenues that you can take and expand your knowledge, expand your skills. So it's just a variety there. Um, and I'm just, um, I am a person that ultimately has a lot of compassion for people. So having that patient interaction and that patient care in radiology, um, you know, that was a big interest to me as well. So not only did I see the variety each day, I had time to actually talk to those patients, get, you know, sometimes you had routine patients that came back a lot and we still do for certain procedures and you know you get to know the patients too when you see them more frequently and more routinely but um, you still have such a variety outside of that but just having those patient interactions being able to be a part of a process that helps providers diagnose you know what's going on what kind of treatments do the patients need it's um it just makes you have some comfort and some pride in what you do um, and for your profession. 
Yeah, you, you could feel good knowing that you were developing those relationships with those patients while making a difference in their lives at the same time. So, right. so not only is the, the field of healthcare in general, you know, multifaceted, but the, uh, you know, just radiology and, and imaging is multifaceted as well. So, you know, right, something, exactly. <laughs> yeah. something, something good for, for people to think about. And we'll, we'll talk more about why that's, uh, you know, such a awarding, a rewarding career path momentarily. But, um, Christy, you've been gainfully employed by uh, Methodist slash Deaconess Hospital in Henderson for, gosh, I know over 20 years. When 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 was your first year there, Krista? Uh, 1995. I started January 24th of 1995. Oh, so you even remember it to the day. That's pretty impressive. I do. So yeah. January uh, 24th of 95. Yeah, and I don't know why that stuck with me. It just has for the <laughs> longest time. <laughs> that was a big day. So let me do the math here. I wasn't a math major, but uh, by my count, that's almost 28 years, Krista. Yes. It's, so gosh, um, it's, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. Been a while. Oh, gosh. But, yeah. <laughs> but you're, a, you're a seasoned pro, so that's uh, that's something to be proud of. But uh, discuss, if you yeah. would, the uh, the uh, positions that you held prior to assuming your, uh, your current role as operations manager there. Okay. So I will, I will add that I started working as a student um, tech, a student rad tech um, in 1992. That was oh, between gotcha. my first and second year of school. Yeah. So we were allowed to work as student technologists. Um, so I started doing that in the summer of 1992 at RMC. And then, of course, when I graduated, I got a full-time or I got a position there. It wasn't full-time, but I did get a position with RMC. And I worked there for as a uh, radiologic technologist on second shift until I came to Methodist in 1995. So you went but from Madisonville to Henderson. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I really moved to Henderson because they had a full-time position open. You know, I was um, a young mom with a young child and, you know, obviously you need insurance benefits. And so the there were a lot of benefits that came with the full-time. Um, so, yeah, so I made my choice to move and um, I came to Henderson. So I started here as, again, as a radiologic technologist in the diagnostic area. Um, I started out on seconds and third shift, so I rotated those. Okay, um, so then, you're no stranger to all-nighters, actually. <laughs> oh, no, I'm really not. <laughs> I'm really not. Um, I will say as I've gotten older, I'm not sure that um, I would do as well now as I did then. But um, I mean, I would have been glad to chat with you at midnight, Krista, if you chose that time. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not afraid to be up all night. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't scare you anyway. doing well. <laughs> No, it doesn't scare me. So, oh, um, but yeah, so then in, um, I think I did that, the second and thirds for probably about a little over a year. And then I transitioned more to a day shift, second shift person, um, but still helped fill in where needed. Right. And then, yeah, then in um, 2000, I went to ultrasound and ultrasound. I did training. Yeah. So I did training on the job for ultrasound, um, spent some time in orientation and then 
um, you know, kind of got out on my own once that was completed. But I did that for um, right at five years. And then um, it was 2005 when um, I was offered, I had applied for and was offered the operations manager for the radiology department at Methodist. And um, our director at the time, um, she had offered that to me. And so um, that's, and then I really got into uh, the side of radiology and the career that I hadn't really been exposed to a lot. And obviously that was the leadership and administrative side. So I began learning more and more about that side of healthcare and radiology too. Um, and of course you learn a little bit more about the other departments along the way. Um, oh yeah. But yeah. And then in 2009, our director we had here, she retired. And so then I was promoted to the director of the radiology department. Um, and so I had that row for a few years and then Methodist did some restructuring and I actually became um, director over cardiology and sleep lab. They, um, so I gained some additional responsibilities of some departments outside of radiology. Sure. So that was kind of interesting to learn more about those. Um, sleep lab, I didn't know anything about. Um, See, so now you cardiology. can help people uh, diagnose their, their sleep issues or, you know, why they, why they snore excessively and you know, all. Right. That's what they did. Yes. pertinent to that. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, like it was good to, you know, to learn more about those areas as well. It's always good to learn something new. Um, of course, then when we transitioned to Deaconess in July of 2020, uh, obviously they already had their own infrastructure for leadership um, and there was already directors in place. And so um, I was offered an operations manager position, which I gladly accepted. Um, it, oh, sure. Uh, it's been a, a great role, I feel like. Um, I have a great team that I work with. So um, I, started, I started doing that and still, I currently hold that position still. Um, and the way that the infrastructure is set up, so we kind of split the department between um, two of us that are on the inpatient side. So while my home office is at Henderson still, I'm technically responsible for diagnostic, nuclear medicine, and ultrasound at Henderson campus, but also Gateway in Midtown. And okay, so you go to Newburgh yeah. sometimes. I do, yes. I travel across right. the bridge. Um, yeah, sometimes often, sometimes, some weeks it's not as much, but... Um, okay, so but the yeah. regularity with which you travel varies. <laughs> yes, <Right>. it does. <laughs> it does travel. Yeah, but, but that's right. okay. I mean, like it's it's good, and I really, um, Evansville, there's so much to learn with Deacon of Steel, um, so it helps, you know, to get over there and see those processes, too, and uh, continue to learn Yeah. Um, each and every day. You know, it's always good to expand your knowledge. Plus, here's that buzzword again. It gives you more variety. Right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you go in, in your in your locations as well. So you've been in management in some form or fashion since 2005 then. Yes, I have. Deaconess <laughs> Henderson's imaging and radiology departments, Krista, offers uh, mammograms to detect breast cancer, which we'll talk more about here in a bit. And I know you're not directly over 
mammograms these days. But let's um, let's talk about the um, the other screenings and services provided um, by you and your departmental staff there in imaging and radiology, Krista. Okay, so we do. Um... Aside from the mammogram, obviously we offer the screening mammogram. Right. But then we um, we also provide low dose lung screenings and CT. Um, there's certain guidelines um, that must be met for a patient to qualify for that, um, such as you know a certain age. There's a certain age um, category. Um, it has to do with their smoke history. Um, you know, asymptomatic at the time. So there's different factors that um, contribute to um, the qualifications for that. However, those are offered, those can be done on an annual basis. And obviously we're looking for um, lung nodule in those, you know, just to see if there is anything. Um, uh -huh. And then we do, we do some cardiac, you know, calcium scoring screenings also in CT. And then you have um, aorta screenings that are done with ultrasound. And to my knowledge, those have not changed. And that's only the ultrasound aorta. Um, Medicare kind of guides the frequency in those screenings. And right now, unless it's changed, and I don't think it has, the ultrasound aorta is only like once in a lifetime. And so, you know, you look at that aorta, are there aneurysms? Is there like stenosis and narrowing? Those type of things. So, okay. so that's a one and done. Yes, typically, yes. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, that's just some of the others that we do within the department outside of the MAMO. So, you know, a wide range of, of services there, shall we say. Now, um, it goes without saying, Krista, that technology is is constantly changing and thus you've undoubtedly seen significant advancements in uh, imaging and radiology equipment since your arrival there in uh, 1995 in fact that was even before methodist back then it was community methodist hospital so oh yeah well, yes it was that's, a, that's mm -hmm. a blast from the past but uh but anyway <laughs> um not that you're old or anything krista but uh oh no not but anyhow, why don't you uh, why don't you discuss the enhancements that you've seen to this uh, equipment and describe how uh, it has uh, describe describe how they have enabled you to um, increase efficiency and productivity, you and your staff. Okay, and goodness, um, you know that does go back a little bit with age, so I will point that out up front. <laughs> Um, so lots of changes over the years and, you know, of course, radiology is a field that, you know, as far as technology, especially like it is ever evolving. So when I started, um, for example, we had, we still had film and we had chemicals and you had a dark room with a processor. So you had to take one cassette, you know, we had all these different sizes and you had one cassette per image, for example, in diagnostics. Oh, and cassette tapes. I remember those well. So each time you took an image on a cassette, you would, you know, put it through a pass box and somebody's in the dark room on the other side of the wall that they would, you know, open those up, take them out, send them through the processor. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, obviously on seconds and thirds, if you were by yourself, then you did all that too. So, you know, it certainly was a time factor in taking each image and then to send each one of those through um, the processor. Most 
studies that we do, most exams are at least two views and a lot of them three. Um, so, and you take one and a half to two minutes for every, you know, piece of film to go through that processor. Well, that time that adds up, especially if you have a trauma, for example, where you've got multiple imaging that you have to do. Um, so, yeah. And so now, um, even, well, I'll go back even with like CT and ultrasound, you know, you had film that you had to print out. Um, I remember being in ultrasound and we had um, these little flip cassettes. So you would slide it in the ultrasound unit. You would take out one slide. You could get six images on that piece of film. Then you had to put, you know, slide the um, slide the piece yeah. back in the cassette, take it out and flip it over. Do the same <laughs> the thing other on the side. other side. Yeah, and then when you got that one full, you'd pick a new cassette. So, um, so and again, those had to be run through the processor. So over the years then, I saw that go from film and the chemical um, you know, setting manual techniques for your exposures to automatic exposure control as far as like, you know, you have to pick certain factors to be able to get good images. Um, sure. Then we moved from film to what they called CR or computed radiography. And, um, you know, you still had what we called a cassette. It still had film in it. It was kind of a upgrade even to the film. But then you just slid it, the whole thing into a machine, you know, our processor, and it would open the cassette for us, take the film out, run it through processing, reload the cassette. And so that was a little bit quicker on time. And you thought you, you were know, high that, tech. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We did. Of course, you still had, like the radiologist from their perspective, you still had view boxes where you had to hang up all of these um, different sheets of film individually. Oh. Um, we had jackets that we stored those in. So, you know, it's even time consuming for them. Right. Um, and at one point, Sam, we bought, we called it a, a film Rolodex. So we had this big Radex unit <laughs> where you could, we would on seconds and thirds, we'd hang up everything we did and all the previous images that went with it. And you would just, the radiologist come in the morning, just flip through like a Rolodex. And they go from one study to the next. A film Rolodex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, film rolled it. Of course, somebody had to spend the time hanging them and taking them down, right? But um, sure. it did help the help the speed of getting through all the studies the next morning. But but of course, then we went from that to um, DR, you know, digital radiography. So now we have detectors, and so we can we use one detector, and you can take multiple images on the same one. You just give it just you know within just a very few few seconds each exposure, it comes up on your computer screen and you're like, okay, let's go to the next one. You know, so, um, you know, very, very much increased our speed, efficiency and productivity um, in the changes in technology. Um, even like CT and MR, you have softwares that you upgrade to those. It decreases your scan times where, you know, CT, we used to have the 16 slice unit and it would take several minutes just to do a scan you know, and now you can you can do a, a head, you know, in a matter of just a couple of minutes and you're done with the scan itself. So um, lots of improvements in software over the years. And even from the radiologist perspective, now we have moved from pieces of film and these jackets where they're stored to um, everything's on a PAX, you know, on PAX. So that's our picture archiving computer systems, right? So yeah, everything is stored. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, everything is stored there, and that's also where the radiologist, you know, they just pull up from a work list, and they read um, just on that computer, everything comes up, so you don't have to take that time to hang film, you know, take them down, move to the next one, so... See, so back in 1995, if somebody were to tell you that in 2022, uh, you'd have DR, you would have probably thought they were crazy. <laughs> probably so, yeah. <laughs> I would have thought we would never get rid of film, but, you know. But, you know, like I said, I know technology is ever evolving, so it's always interesting to see what's going to come out next. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows what it's going to be like five years from now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, there's still things out there on the, you know, they have the artificial intelligence now. And, you know, we've had these CADs or computer aided detection systems that help with, you know, like with MAMOs, for example, and like it looks at the images as well. And so there's just so much software, so much advancement. This laptop I'm using right now, I mean, gosh, when I was little, (laughs) laptops were not even fathomed, but... Anyway, right. <laughs> yeah, it's always a, <laughs> a, a constant adventure. But anyway, uh, since October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Chris, I thought it was only fitting that we uh, shed some light on the uh, importance of timely mammograms. So um, explain, since you do have experience uh, in that capacity, explain why those who are due for a mammogram should have a sense of urgency to uh, get it done immediately rather than putting it on the back burner until it's quote unquote convenient. Right. So, you know, as with any screening, you know, it's always really important to have those done timely. Um, You know, and I know like even with, because of COVID, we had a lot of patients that were waiting, but you know, it's so much better if you can detect, you know, if there was a possibility of cancer, you know, you always want to detect the cancers earlier rather than later. You know, as you catch those earlier, um, you know, it changes, a lot of times it changes that whole treatment plan because then you avoid potentials if you put it off and, you know, then the cancer could progress. You know, you want to avoid um, the cancer being able to have that time to progress. And then you also avoid like more invasive procedures, such as going to surgery and those type of things. So um, ultimately, it's just, you know, you've heard it, I've heard it for years. And so I know the message has always been out there, you know, early detection is the best. So again, with any screening, you know, getting those done timely, making sure you stay on top of those. It's just because, you know, obviously there's that whole um, uh, mentality of, early detection is the best and it really is and I agree with that so and it just helps again you know you don't want that cancer to progress so getting those timely and knowing what's going on very very important for everyone absolutely even though getting a mammogram may not seem too convenient right now it's it's a lot more convenient than those evasive procedures like you said and, and surgery down the road and so you know you're saving yourself a lot of time potentially by getting that mammogram done right now so absolutely very very (laughs) important in fact uh as far as breast cancer goes i've heard um shelly kirk on channel 25 so she's got a uh an advertisement that that runs pretty regularly on there and i've heard her say that um you know if you catch breast cancer in it's very early stages you know the uh the the chances of survival are like 98 percent yeah 
And that just really goes along with that early detection. Like you want to exactly. catch that. Uh, yeah. And if you have to have That's cancer, you know, nobody wants cancer, but if, if, if you have no choice, those, those 98% odds, mo most people would take those. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, you know, and, and, and Shelly Kirk is a, a breast cancer survivor herself. I know. Yes, so. I did know that. I'd seen her at several, um, you know, they had the Komen events um, they have for years in Evansville. Oh, yeah, and you've helped but, out with those, haven't you? I have helped out with those, yeah, but um, Shelly Kirk was there multiple times, and so, yeah. All the more reason to get them done early, you know. <laughs> Shelly Kirk is a, a walking, living testament. Now, um, tell us who is most vulnerable to breast cancer, Krista, and exactly how often are mammograms recommended for these individuals? Okay, so the two major risk factors are age, so those that are older, and then just being female. Um, you know, there used to be, it was always um, family history. You would hear family history. If you have a strong family history, um, you heard that a lot, but actually now, you know, in research and data, there's only about 85% or, or there is like 85% of ladies with cancer, like they didn't have a family history. So that's really not the major, one of the major risk factors anymore. It's really based upon the older um, you get and being a female. So females as they get older. So what do you think? Maybe, um, I guess, 50 and up, would you say? Is that when, you know, people need to really start monitoring it closely? Well, you know, you really should start having an annual mammogram. So when you talk about frequency, it really should be annually. And you should start at age 40. Oh, 40. Um, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And you, if, you know, it's for anybody 40 and above. Now, if you are having symptoms and you're symptomatic prior to being 40, then, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't have it then as well. It's just be sure you tell your provider you're having symptoms and those can start sooner than 40. But if you're having no symptoms, then, um, yes, start at 40 and it really should be done annually. So annually for ages 40 and up is the uh, yes, <laughs> the general rule of, of thumb in the uh, in the female department. But it is worth mentioning that um, in some cases, men can also get breast cancer, correct? That is correct. They can. Yes. Uh, I know those those instances are, um, you know, fewer and 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 farther between. You know, yeah. it's just a matter of watching your symptoms. And if you're symptomatic, then that might be reason enough to get a mammogram so absolutely you know just absolutely. just keep that in mind guys but uh, for some in our audience um the time is no doubt creeping up to schedule their first mammogram and uh, they may perhaps be unfamiliar with the process and maybe even a little nervous about it so why don't you describe krista exactly what this process entails and uh, tell us about how long it takes um, well, for the actual mammogram itself, it's really not that long. Um, of course, for any patient, you know, you get your order from your primary or from your OBGYN um, and get it on the schedule. Um, again, those changes in technology even apply to getting it scheduled. So you used to have to call, 
you know, get yourself on the schedule, but, or the provider's call, but you can do that online now too. So another advancement in technology. So, so back on um, the technology, you know, back yes, on the, yeah. <laughs> that automobile. That's right. Oh, That's man. right. Um, it affects everything, Sam. It affects everything. Oh, indeed. And then, yeah. So on the day of the exam, you know, the patient comes in, registers in admissions. Um, that process doesn't take long. Again, that's something you can do online, electronic check-in before, which will um, speed that process. But when you get to the our women's center, uh, women's breast center here, um, or even if you went to um, somewhere else, typically, you know, obviously they're going to have you change into a gown. You do have to image both sides, but they'll start with one side. You know, they'll start with the left or the right breast. Um, they do take two views uh-huh. and so they'll do both of those on the same side before moving to the next. But, you know, the, when they have you positioned, you know, a lot of people I think are scared of the compression that they have to add, but, um, and, and I guess it depends on your sensitivity, but with again, advances and changes, improvements in technology, the compression even has gotten better, um, Speaking from experience as a patient who now has had several mammograms since I started early, but, um, and the girls are very, the staff are very quick about making sure that they don't want to leave anyone, you know, if you are uncomfortable in that position too long. Now you do have, they'll tell you to stop breathing and that, um, you know, that's just for just a very, very few seconds. Um, Okay. So very temporarily, you got to hold your breath. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because they'll do, like, the views, they'll do one straight on, you know, just to keep kind of um, simple terms, and the other one's at an angle. But, you know, the image only takes, like, maybe 15 seconds or less. The tube will move above the patient. But each exposure is very, very quick. So, and as soon as that exposure is completed, that compression lets off. So, um, it's really just a matter of seconds for each view once they have you positioned appropriately and have the compression in place so um, again two views on each side and then you're typically done so it's again getting the images itself you know within just a couple two three minutes um, and you know no more than five for sure if they're if they take some time between positioning but very very fast and um, very very efficient again it's it's not a lengthy process. It's not as uncomfortable as it used to be. And again, I'm speaking from my personal experience. Yeah, you've, um, you've administered them and you've received them. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> definitely a change. And uh, the changes, again, like everything else, are, you know, for the positive for the patient. Sure. So, uh, you know, I'll told maybe, what, 15 minutes or so? Oh, yeah, from start to finish. but and And that's really just making sure they have... You know, they have questions they have to ask. So getting, you know, those questionnaires completed, your clinical history, those type things, plus the, you know, getting you changed. Um, You know, there's, they'll even provide like baby wipes because, you know, you can't have any deodorant or lotions or anything like that because that can um, create artifacts on the images. So they'll even give baby wipes, you know, to let you remove those things. Um, And then again, getting finished and then, you know, dressed at the end. Yeah. No more than 15 minutes really. Yeah. Um, but about that. And it depends on how, I'll be honest, it depends on how chatty the staff or the patient are, you know, but well, that's sure. just, 
yeah, taking I'll... time with patients and you know our <laughs> mammographers throughout our breast centers and deaconess very um very personable with patients you know they always want to explain just like all of our staff you know make sure they explain what they're doing to try to help um ease the you know the nervousness and uh anxiety some patients may have just to try to make their experience more comfortable yeah and some so people really yeah yeah some people have more questions than others but like you said if you uh you know, if you schedule your appointment, register online ahead of time, that saves you, that saves you even more time. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's not a, not a hardship at all. And, and certainly well worth it. Even those compressions, I mean, which were never that uncomfortable to begin with, they're even, uh, they're even less uncomfortable now. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the more Always reason improving. to, to uh, get that mammogram in a timely manner. Now, um, Krista, what in your mind are the uh, the most important skills and attributes of uh, competent imaging and radiology professionals? Uh, you, you mentioned you know your staff is is very personable, and that's a that that's a key attribute, no doubt. Oh, absolutely, and just kind of along with that, you know, just having that compassion, um, you know, being empathetic, you know, having that ability and willingness to listen to your patients, um, you know, having the patience with them to allow them time to, you know, say what's on their mind or, you know, some patients you get come in like they honestly want to share a great deal more than maybe some others. So it's just, again, having all those things combined, the compassion, the empathy, the patience, um, you know, the ability to listen, just taking the time um, with each person as an individual. Yeah, patience so for the patients. <laughs> that's exactly right. You know, they're sick or they're in pain from some accident or something going on. You know, they really just need to know that they're our primary focus. And like, we're not in a hurry. Like when they're with us and our focus is on them, we have time for them. And so we want them to share what they want to share. You know, we want to make sure that they, um, you know, we're addressing what's important, what's important to them. And just, um, you know, we don't want anybody to feel, you know, over the years, you feel like uh, you hear sometimes, you know, patients don't want to be a number. As a patient, I wouldn't want to be a number. You know, I want to know that you truly care about what's going on with me and um, that you're just going to pay attention to me right now and not have distractions. So, um, you know, and, that, and that's really on the patient care side. You want to do what you feel like is best for them. You always want to try to make them comfortable, make sure you're, you know, introducing yourself and explaining what you have going on to, again, even if it's not for a mammogram, as we mentioned before, it could be, you know, a younger patient that's getting something, but just to help them with their fear or anxiety um, and understanding a little bit about what you're going to do and just tell them along the way. But, you know, but you also have to have that initiative to be able to adapt to change and, you know, the knowledge to move forward. And, you know, I think it's great when staff, you know, have that initiative to want to expand in their professional growth and knowledge. Sure, um, always adapt build to that technology. <laughs> yes, right. Because it's, it's always, as I said, ever-evolving is going to change. So, you know, we need to have a willingness to want to build on that just as an individual, as a professional. Um, you know, we have radiology is a great field. I have a great compassion for it. And, um, 
you know, I mean, it's been my career, and I, I just can't say enough good things about radiology. I just can't. Yeah, we'll I could talk, talk and talk for hours, Sam. I'm telling you. <laughs> about radiology. <laughs> we, we could do two or three more episodes on this, couldn't we? But, uh, <laughs> we could. But, but anyway, yeah, the bottom line is, you know, you want to you wanna not only perform the services to, to the best of your ability, but you also want to just make those patients feel valued and respected. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's absolutely that's what it's all about. Make sure they're uh, you know a lot more than than just the number. Well, Krista, this has been fabulous. I know that we've all learned a lot. Now, last but not least, you talked about your compassion for radiology. So here's your chance to spill your beans on that. <laughs> why don't you uh, tell us why you would recommend imaging and radiology to those in our audience, perhaps exploring potential career avenues within the realm of healthcare. Uh, okay. Well, first I want to start with the patients. Um, you know, just again, being able to provide that care, giving them a listening ear or someone to provide some comfort, you know, in moments that maybe are not the best part of their, you know, situations right now, whether that's because of pain or some something that they have going on, um, whether that be some type of, you know, it could be a cancer patient or um, it could be just a different disease process or, you know, it just could be from an injury from some kind of trauma, but definitely for the patient. And along with that comes, you know, you do have that variety, like I said. And so um, always an interest. And I know I really didn't touch on it. I'm mean, going to talk about different modalities, but, you know, we go to surgery um, and, you know, we run equipment back in surgery for specific cases, whether it's an orthopedic. And so you're also not only initially in part of that, helping the providers diagnose and know how to treat because you provide those images, but then you also, you know, you can go to surgery and be a part of um, that treatment process for like, for example, a fracture of some bone somewhere, you know, you're providing the C-arm and run that C-arm for that um, surgeon so that they can repair that fracture, whether that's with plates and screws or wires or whatever the case may be. It may be just pins, but so you kind of have that aspect of it too. See, and that's um, a vinyl roll. Right. So you kind of have some of the follow-up along with that. Um, and it's not just okay, well, we don't know what happened to this patient, you know, and sometimes patients get transferred, so you might not see that, but it's just, you know, you, you, you get involved in the beginning, you get involved kind of in the end as well, or part of that, so um, a big part of variety, the technology is a huge piece, um, ever evolving, as I stated earlier, you know, you have those different uh, modalities within radiology itself, so, so many opportunities, um, for career paths within radiology. Um, but even outside of radiology, for example, you know, I talked about us having now, we have packs where we store the images. You know, there's the IT side of radiology. Um, and I know there's positions specific to that. So we have an IT radiant team um, with Deaconess. They help us along the way to understand when, you know, we're building something new or, you know, not just with our packs, but with our, with our EPIC system, you know, our electronic medical record system. And, um, oh, uh -huh. you know, when we're building something new or, 
when we're trying to learn new processes, when, and obviously when we have issues, you know, they're our go-to as well. But, um, you know, you have to have dedicated individuals as well to stay on top of that and for those things to operate and run smoothly too. And so that's what our IT uh, Radiant team and other IT folks do. So it's, it's just evolving outside of not just the modalities within radiology department itself. You know, you have these other paths too. So I just feel like there's a lot of career opportunity. Obviously you have management and leadership. If, um, if that's, you know, your area of interest, it's just, you know, I keep going back to the word variety and that's on, you know, what you see day to day, your career path you can take, the technology itself and um, the changes that come with it. But uh, see, so those are our two, those are our two buzzwords for the day, variety and technology. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Um, So, yeah, I mean, just that, and you know, obviously the patients, they make it, you know, yeah, they they are the reason you do what you do. That's exactly what I was going to say. The reason we do, we do. And then, you know, they're the reason we're here. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. And like I said, not only yeah. do you need people to run the equipment, but you need the IT folks to make sure the equipment works as it should. So <laughs> absolutely. You, <laughs> you know, know. lots yeah, of mm-hmm. <laughs> lots of different pieces there. You know, what one of your one of your future employees could be listening to this, Kristen. You might have just inspired them to follow in your footsteps and inner imaging and radiology so <laughs> that's right and we get like we have students and we have radiology um uh, patient assistants so you know they can start in some of those roles too and even and through that learn more about radiology so um okay yeah, so, so you got some uh, you got some community college patrons in there now that's right. We do. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> so definitely uh, consider imaging and, and, and radiology if you're, uh, you know, perhaps aspiring to enter health care. Well, uh, Krista, thanks so much for joining us. If anybody has any questions about perhaps those mammograms or um, breast cancer treatments or uh, the field of radiology in general, why don't you uh, tell us how we can maybe contact you, uh, perhaps by phone or a good website that we can learn more. Um, well, you can look at the um, um, anything for radiology, like what what's offered, the openings, those type of things on deaconess.com. But um, you can schedule exams there. You can look for different info. I'm always willing to share my contact info with patients or just individuals in the community. Like I know there's been future students, they reach out to me. Um, and so I can give you like my email is Krista, so C-H-R-I-S-T-A dot co, C-O-L-E, at deaconess.com. So anyone can email me if they have questions. My office number, I'll share that. It's 270-831-7931. Always willing to talk to, yeah, always willing to talk to anyone, especially if they have an interest in radiology. and if they need help trying to figure out what they need to do or get some observation time, like there's um, a few of us that can help them get through that process too. So, yep, gotcha. feel so free I, to share that. And, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, eight three one seven nine three one or krista.cole at deaconess.com. Either That's one, de- definite avenues yeah. that uh, you can use to, to get a hold of Krista. Well, uh, I have had a bunch of fun and learned a lot. I hope you've enjoyed it, Krista. 
Oh, I, yes, I absolutely have. I appreciate you asking me to participate. This was her first podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and I think it's safe to say <laughs> that she passed with flying colors. So <laughs> That's good to know. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, we sure appreciate your time, Krista. We'll do this again sometime. That sounds great. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. Krista Cole is an endlessly flowing font of knowledge, especially when it comes to uh, imaging and radiology. So see, we serve dual purposes on this show today. Not only are we stressing the importance of uh, breast cancer here on Breast Cancer Awareness Month, which ends 12 days from the uh, time this podcast comes out on October the, uh, the 31st, but we are also educating on radiology and its various facets. And not only could a number of us benefit from one or more of the services and uh, screenings offered within that department, but a number of us might also wish to pursue radiology as a potential career path, especially if you're anything like Krista and your uh, interests and aspirations mirror hers. And uh, she's a great source of information. I will include her email address in my show notes as well, krista.cole at deaconess.com, a wonderful resource for anything and everything you'd need to know within the realm of radiology. If she doesn't have the answers, she will get them for you or steer you to somebody who will have the answers because she has the connections. And not only do I encourage you to email her, I encourage you to email me and let me know about those healthcare heroes, educators, restaurant owners, state parks, musicians, anybody and everybody making a difference across the Commonwealth or who has significant connections to the Commonwealth. I am more than glad to consider them for future show features, my email address is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. You can also converse with me electronically via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page, which I need you to like and follow if you aren't already, because all of my previous shows are right there. If you're joining me today for the first time, it's never too late to jump on board, and you certainly don't have to have heard any of the previous shows to enjoy this one or future shows. But we encourage you to go back and listen to the shows that you might have missed, or maybe if you enjoyed some of them so much that you just want to hear them again, feel free because they are all at your fingertips. And I put out teasers generally about once a week as far as future show plans, so you can stay up to speed with those and make comments and leave messages. Now, we plan on coming back at you next Wednesday. That is October the 26th, the final Wednesday of the month of October and the last one before Halloween. So I trust that uh, many of you will... Be seriously pondering your Halloween costumes by then. Some of you may be listening to us in costume, which we don't frown on that in the least. I don't care how you're here. I don't care how you're dressed, just as long as you're here, because you are the glue that keeps this show together, okay? You can trust me when I say that. But before we split for this week... We have the long-awaited answer of the Bluegrass Brain Buster, which we brought to you at the very beginning of the show. And to refresh your memory, of course, we all know Kentucky is nicknamed the Bluegrass State. That is our official nickname. What are our unofficial nicknames? Well, 
The ones I was able to uncover are the tobacco state, which no surprise there, the hemp states, which the way hemp has been taken off uh, in Kentucky in recent years, that one doesn't surprise me either, and the corn cracker state. Didn't quite see that one coming, but not the first time I've been surprised it won't be the last. So anyhow, the corn cracker state, the hemp state, and the tobacco state, those were the unofficial nicknames that uh, I was able to uncover. And uh, undoubtedly, there's some more out there because the only official one is the bluegrass state. So if you know of any other unofficials, let me know via email or Facebook, okay? Because, uh, like I said, there's there's bound to be more out there. Those are just the ones that uh, I found in my research, and we learn something new every day, don't we? It's a fact, Jack. So come on back next week for another Bluegrass Brain Buster and a whole heck of a lot more fun. Also, remember that you can listen and subscribe without one thin dime via a number of podcast directories. Of course, for a while, we've been a part of Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Verbal. Recently, we have added Amazon Music, we have added iHeartRadio, Boomplay, and even a few others. So if we're not yet a part of your favorite podcast directory... Email me that, Facebook me that, let me know so that we can make sure that we are a part of it ASAP, okay? So, these directories are all easy to use, though. They are all free of charge, so no excuse for you not to be here with me each and every week. And until next time around, you know your assignment. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.